Well, howdy-do, everyone. Welcome back to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. How you been? Oh, I've been missing this so much. It's been too Me too. long. Me too. Too long. I want to apologize. The The last, like, month and a half, I've been dealing with some health issues, but I'm a lot better now. I'm good to go. Ready to scare the pants off of you. And the crap out of you. <laughs> okay. I, uh... I have the Reddit stories for today. And I'm so excited to hear them. I also have a historical story. It's kind of more of a fun one. So it'll fun, be a good episode. Fun spooky. Fun spooky. Like a haunted fun house. In a way. Sweet. Good. Good. Also, happy spooky season. It's officially it, September. By the are, time you're hearing this. Yes, we, we are in the last day of August recording this. But by the time this comes out, it'll officially start spooky season. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Of course, my wife and I have already been to Spirit Halloween and getting all the decorations for this season. Same here. Um, we actually got our costumes last <laughs> last Halloween because Spirit does like the first day after Halloween, everything's like 25% off. And then the second day after Halloween, everything's 50% off. And then the third day after Halloween, everything is 75% off. And that's when we went because we hid our costumes inside of Spirit so that no one would take our sizes. Heck yes. Yeah. And then we bought them for 75% off. So we're going as two of the killer clowns from (laughs) killer clowns from (laughs) outer space. (laughs) Hey, this year I saw that they have the, like the gun that they shoot. That yeah. turns people into cotton candy, so you could get the gun if yeah. you want. <laughs> Go my, the extra mile. My character has the yellow baseball bat with like the pink nails mm-hmm. sticking out of it, so I think that's what I'm gonna get. Nice. Yeah. Uh, this this actually now I just I'm thinking about it right now. We didn't post our costumes for last year on our Instagram, and we we, well, we let our change. we let our listeners down. Oh, I know. This year I'll post it, but uh, so you're gonna go as the killer clowns. Yeah, so my character's name is Shorty, and then Collins is Jumbo. Heck yeah, and Colin is massive, so he f- he'll f- he fits Jumbo <laughs> perfectly. <Yes>. He's <laughs> a good six uh, two. <laughs> good, good, good tall lad, that boy. <laughs> uh, my wife and I are on a scream kick right now. We love scream, and so we're going as both both of us are going as Ghostface. You know, because there's always two, except for that one movie. Okay, cool. Well, I will, um, I'll start us off. Um, but before I do, just want to let everyone know that any uh, images that have anything to do with our stories today, we will post those on our Instagram. You can check those out there. And if you guys are interested in sending um, in a spooky story to us, you are more than welcome to do so. Uh, they can be true. They can be completely made up as long as they're scary, spooky. Uh, we would love to read them on the podcast. You can send those to us to our email, uh, SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com, or DM those to us on our Instagram. Okay, so I'm going to do things a little different. I have some. Um, I have one longer story, but before I read that, I, I found on ask r slash AskReddit, um, it's a... Uh, it's crime scene cleanup crew members of Reddit. What is your most disturbing story? So I have three little stories to share. I'm so into this stuff. You guys don't even know. I fall asleep to crime scene cleaning YouTube. 
<laughs> it's my favorite channel. We're going to start a cleanup crew business one day. We have talked about it. We have. State of Utah, there's like none here. There's like two businesses, so we might as well. Might as well. I Spooky mean, Spooky Soup Podcast, Crime, crime scene, scene Clean, clean Cleanup. Clean <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this uh, this was posted by... This question was posted by you slash daddy long leg six nine six nine six nine. And the first story, uh, the author is unknown, but it goes like this. Not a cleanup crew, but attended the scenes. An old gentleman had died in the bath. The top half of his body was all swollen and puffy, whereas his legs and lower torso almost melted away essentially created a horrendous soup-slash-casserole mix in the bath. The coroners had to sift through the bath to find his liver, which had completely come out. Some might call that a spooky soup. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> That's <awesome>. Sorry. <laughs> That's horrible and awesome. <laughs> I just Awesome. Awesome. I just hate the smell. It seems to stick on your clothes. You come back into the office and everyone can smell it on you. Ugh. Yummy. Okay, maybe I don't want to go into this business. It's the new Dior cologne for men. Disgusting. <laughs> Liver bathtub. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All right. You're going to make me barf. Okay, this next one is uh, was written by Prestog1. It says... I heard a story of a guy who cleans up bodies from people jumping in front of trains. In this one case, they found a body with no head and couldn't for the life of them find the rest of it. In the autopsy room, they saw a tuft of hair coming out of where the head should be and realized he hit the train head on and his head had caved into his chest through his neck. Oh, I mean, okay, that makes sense because essentially... It's just a cavity. It's an open cavity inside of your ribs. So that makes sense. But, but also, oh my gosh. It's like a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. You get like, like bonked on the head Dunes, with like a, yeah. The piano fall like, down. <laughs> yeah. The killer clown hits you in the head with the bat yeah. and then your head goes in. Yeah. yeah. This next one was written by Gamma Geek Nerd. And it says, my dad's friend is a cop who works a rural uh, excuse me, rural area and loves to tell my dad about the messed up stuff he's come across. One of them being the time he was sent to a call of a large group of people crying and coughing in an apartment. He gets there and it's a large group of family members there cleaning up the shotgun suicide of a relative. That's when I learned that it's sometimes up to the family of the departed to clean up after the death and it's not always people in hazmat suits. It's true. Crime scene cleanup or suicide cleanup, mm -hmm. because they're essentially the same company, it costs thousands, so it's often left up to the family to do it. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons why we talked about starting something like this is because we want to help people, because this, this situation is a real thing, and it's so unfortunate that these people have to clean up right after their loved one took their life. And so, I, like, in a way, like, we would be helping people not have to deal with that. And, oh, that just, I just can't imagine. That'd be so, so hard. Oh, I know. Especially if we could figure out a way to do it affordably for those people or somehow get, like, sponsorships for families who can't afford it. I don't know. I would love to help in any way that I could. Yeah. 
Okay, so those are the those are three stories or little mini stories I found, and goodness, I had to share them. They're just <laughs> those were fantastic. Yeah, I loved those, especially that soup story. <laughs> Hungry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so now on to my Reddit story. Uh, this was posted in r slash scary stories by u slash apprehensive dash oil dash nine one four. And I'm not going to tell you the title of this story because it gives it away automatically. People look at me strange when I tell them I have an 18-year-old son. I'm 33. When James and I go out, we often raise eyebrows. Wouldn't it be a stretch for strangers to mistake him for my sibling or even believe I just crossed my teen years? Same as him. Life's tossed a slew of curveballs our way over the past 18 years. Yet, looking back, I reckon I tackled them as well as any man could. See, during my freshman year in high school, my girlfriend found herself pregnant. Her parents were ready to hand the child up for adoption, but my mom, a pillar of strength that she was, stepped right up, guiding me to secure my boy. Today, James is the epitome of diligence. Straight A's etched on his report card, master of the court in the school's basketball games, Every penny I could save went to a modest car for him. He was everything in his vibrant youth that I wasn't. When I was his age, I had a two-year-old son, a GED, and a job at my local McDonald's. Our shared space is a two-bedroom apartment duplex, a stone's throw from James's high school. The kid's diligent, hardly needs a nudge to do his homework. Evenings often find him with pals or outdoing me in our spirited Call of Duty face-offs. For a time, a thought played at the back of my mind. Could my boy be gay? Not that it mattered, but his absence of a girl by his side was peculiar. I broached the topic. He shot me this grin. Nah, Dad, I'm straight. Just holding out a bit longer, you know? Last thing you need is grandkids while you're still in your 30s. That was... That's a low blow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was our sex talk. Between the internet and the sex ed classes I had to sign a permission slip, I was pretty sure he was clued in on the facts of life. A while back, he informed me he'd be out late. What's the occasion? I inquired. A date, was his reply. No need for details, I thought, slipping him a $100 bill with a simple instruction for him to be back for lunch. James was good to his word. After that, it became somewhat of a routine. He'd give me the heads up on Friday... And come Saturday, he'd be back, joystick in hand, playing video games before I could rub the sleep from my eyes. As for the women he was seeing, I hadn't had the pleasure of meeting any of them, but I reckoned he liked his privacy. Trust wasn't in his short supply between us. James had always been level-headed, giving me no cause for suspicion. I'm more of a digital guy, getting my daily dose of headlines via Facebook and Twitter, rather than the age-old TV news. But for some odd reason, I found myself sitting in front of my television at 5 in the afternoon and figured, why not see what the talking heads had to say? Regret settled in shortly after. The screen shifted from some product jingle to the solemn visage of the news anchor. The news said, Later tonight, the news lady began, her tone grave, there's been a disturbing development. Several women from our town are missing. Authorities are piecing together whether there's a connection. Our town was the quiet sort, and his revelation had a chill racing down my spine. 
The thought of my son being out and about while danger lurks scared me a bit too much. I approached him. My concerns laid bare. He waved them off, reminding me of his towering height, just a hair shy of seven feet. But height's not armor, especially not against bullets, I argued. I know, having been a sizable target myself. In the dark folds of the night, a protective streak got the best of me. Unbeknownst to James, I sneaked his phone and slipped in a tracking app just for peace of mind. With memories of my own invulnerable teen days, this felt like the least I could do. Hidden and set, I returned the device, and my concern quickly tucked away. I figured that if I ever got worried while he was out, a quick glance at my phone would show me his whereabouts. It was a safety net. As I indulged in the latest binge-worthy show on Netflix, the unsettling case of the vanishing women, however, had me obsessively scrolling online. In a span of ten weeks, six women, all different in age and looks, had disappeared. No bodies turned up, but the cops were convinced something sinister was going on. The seventh name that cropped up froze my blood. Rochelle. She'd appeared a decade back attempting to mother James, a role she was wholly unequipped for. A string of broken pledges and missed dates later, I had her undergo a drug test. Her failure led to the court severing her ties with James, and I thought it was best if he wasn't exposed to her decline. It was a Saturday dawn, an unease twisted in my gut. Rochelle wasn't a regular topic between James and me. After James, she plummeted into the abyss of substance abuse, aging rapidly with signs etched on her frail body. Seeing her was a stark reminder of the toll drugs had taken. It amazed me she had lived this long, let alone long enough to vanish into thin air. Taking a deep breath, I stood before James, breaking the news about his mother. He paused his game, met my eyes, waiting. Rochelle's missing, I muttered. Police say there were signs of a struggle at her trailer. He stared blankly at the screen, unpausing his game, and with a note of, of resignation remarked, Well, it's not really breaking news, then, is it? James and I treaded lightly around the subject of his mother, mostly because he didn't like talking about her. My involvement with the legal system was in large part, due to one distressing incident during her custodial visit. She'd taken him away to her apartment, where, unbeknownst to me, she was conducting her prostitution business. The sobering realization that his first genuine interaction with his mother had him bearing witness to addicts lining up cash in hand for her services was nothing short of horrifying. The day's ordeal ended with a man James referred to as Stephen dropping him back off at our doorstep. He'd spent hours outside, shivering in the cold, jacketless. I rushed home to find him, and all he'd say was that his mother didn't want to see him anymore. Out of all the awful outcomes that could have ensued, his experience, though deeply unsettling, seemed almost merciful in compassion to what could have happened. I immediately enrolled James into therapy. With time, the vibrancy returned to his eyes, and the therapist sessions grew less and less frequent. Up until that night, he had asked me about his mother about once every couple months. In the time since, I think he may have only brought her name up once. James informed me of another impending date the subsequent week. My unease took root that evening, compelling me to check the app. It showed him driving to a nondescript address, then to an isolated location, someplace in the middle of nowhere. 
The app's feature had eluded my prior notice, and I was taken aback to discover that the app had tracked his every move. To my alarm, it revealed recurrent visits to that very desolate spot over the last month and a half. A chill ran down my spine when the app showed that my son went to Rochelle's trailer the very night she went missing. Skepticism clawed at me, but my heart, blinded by parental love, refused to entertain the bleak whispers of my mind. Were it any other child, I would have faced the glaring truth head on. In a swirl of denial, I threw my phone on the bed and drank whiskey till I passed out. I woke up with a heavy head the next day. I went into James's room and saw him playing Call of Duty. I took that time to entertain my curiosity, the need for clarity. I found myself behind the wheel and drove to that isolated lo location where James had been taking his dates to. There's a part of me that wishes I'd remained ignorant. Man, I just wish I didn't go there. The GPS led my car down a gravel road, which soon went into a clearing. Trees, thick and tall on both sides of the road, were the only thing I could see. But now, a pond came into view. I parked, noticing faint remnants of a recent campfire. On drawing closer, its warmth still lingered. An involuntary sigh of relief escaped my lips. Perhaps this was just a clandestine romantic spot James had chanced upon where he'd bring his dates to. However, the tranquility of the scene was marred with when my eyes landed on tracks leading to the pond. It looked as if something heavy had been dragged. A growing unease settled within me as I noticed splashes of blood on the grass. I waded into the water, and about ten feet out, my worst fears were confirmed. I stepped on something hard. Reaching down, my fingers grasped a coarse chain tethered to a sodden, blanket-wrapped form. The cloth revealed a face distorted by water and decay, unmistakably Rochelle. Shock propelled me back to my car. I sped back home and found myself paralyzed in the driveway. My heart's frantic beats competed with a deluge of tears and a torrent of denials and theories to somehow make James seem in innocent. The dark silhouette of James obstructed my peripheral vision. He was standing near my driver's side window, nearly causing me to jump out of my skin. Hesitantly, I got out of the car and was met with James wrapping his arms around me. His embrace was firm, warm, grounding. We'll get through this, Dad. Just tell me, he whispered. I walked in the house, and after putting on some dry clothes, I sank into an armchair across from James. The silence was loud tension thick. Finally, as my eyes are fixed on the ground, I uttered, I, I found your mother. He responded, Oh. I didn't know what to expect him to say, but his response hit me hard. It wasn't surprise or even anger. It was that same flat effect he showed me on the rare occasion I caught him doing something he wasn't supposed to do. I looked right at him and said, Please tell me you didn't do anything stupid, son. He looked off to the side and said, Define stupid. I raised my voice a little. Damn it, James, did you kill your mother? He laughed and said, That whore was dead a long time before I clocked her on the head and dragged her to my car. Any whore that would try to sell her son for dope has been dead for a long time. I couldn't speak. I had always wondered about that night, but James never talked about it. James continued, you know, the asshole that gave me a ride home and told me never to go back to my mother, I guess it could have been a lot worse. But really, that was the day I snapped. I understood how meaningless life really was. 
Of course, I killed her. That whore deserves to die six times over. A chilling silence gripped the room as my son, with an unsettling calm, began a chilling confession admitting to over 15 murders. I sat there, paralyzed, absorbing every graphic detail he recounted, a tapestry of horror no young man should have been capable of. Once the heavy words stopped pouring from his mouth, I was trapped in a daze. My flesh and blood had just laid bare his monstrous deeds, and my mind raced, trying to find a way to save him from the bleak future that awaited. I mustered up the courage to speak. James, we need to get you some help. This, this isn't a path you should tread. He was quick to interrupt. No therapist can fix me, Dad. Let's not kid ourselves. My 18th birthday is around the corner. Soon, I'll be out of your life. Besides, I have my own plans. I just stared at him, grappling with the enigma he'd become. Seventeen years of raising him, and not once had I suspected this within him. Days blurred into one another. By the time his 18th birthday came, I'd quit my job, spiraling into a haze of alcohol, numbing the pain of the revelation. True to his word, the morning after his birthday, James vanished. A sliver of hope that maybe, just maybe, he'd find redemption was crushed when the police discovered his mother's corpse in the pond. But my son was long gone. A postcard landed on my doorstep a while later. On the back was a picture of a sunlit beach. Flipping it over, a simple message read, Hey Dad, just letting you know, I'm fine. I left it by the door, returning to the solace of my bottle. There's a nagging thought urging me to go to the police. Tracking him down wouldn't be too hard, but the thought of sending my own son to death row didn't sit right with me in the slightest. That's a cross I'm not prepared to bear. The weight of my guilt expands daily, but for now, all I can cling to is hope. Hope that somewhere, he's found peace, that he's seized his killing spree. He's always had charisma, a towering presence. If only he'd harnessed it for good, he could truly shine. He was a good boy, after all. What? Come on! <laughs> Go to the cops! <laughs> you know, the dad that... Uh, that wrote the story is uh, the Idaho murders dad of what's his face? Brian Koberger's dad. <laughs> it's his dad. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. <laughs> uh, the title of the story is my con- my son confessed to being a serial killer. So I couldn't I couldn't say the title. It spoiled the ending. Oh, what a title! <laughs> that but, totally spoiled it. <laughs> totally, but it caught my attention, and I'm, I'm glad it did because, oh, what a good story. I mean, come on. If you were in the dad's shoes and you knew that your son was killing people and then you started hearing more stories about people dying, I feel like some of that blood is on your hands because you know about it and you did nothing to stop it. Totally. Totally agree. Tisk tisk. Tis a shame. Tis a shame. Okay. I, uh, I'm excited to hear your story. What do you have for us today? All righty, y'all. I got the historical story mine is more of a uh, maybe a little bit historical maybe more of a memory (laughs) but let's dive in so this story starts on a friday night in utah specifically may 4th of 2012 i was barely a teenager and i was home probably making a pizza or avocado toast having just finished my homework for the week 
and gearing up to watch a new episode of The Dead History on Travel Channel. If you don't know what The Dead History is, it's a television show that rocked my younger self's world. It's hosted by two people, a man and a woman, named Steve and Amy. Now, Steve is a former NYPD homicide detective who dives into the history of a haunted location without any context whatsoever of that location's past. Amy, on the other hand, is a self-proclaimed psychic medium who walks around the haunted location and gathers intel from the other side. She and Steve do not speak to each other throughout the entirety of their investigations. That is, until the end, where they meet up and discuss their findings to see if Amy's premonitions and communications with the dead match with the actual history of the location. So things like names that come to her, or images that come to her mind, different things that stand out to her, we see if they're actually true. Now, whether or not you believe the show is totally up to you, but you can imagine my excitement as a 13-year-old to finally find some hard, true evidence that the paranormal world is real. <laughs> and it's verifiable because an NYPD police officer said so. <laughs> well, there you go. It's, yeah, obviously. Obviously. Now, back to that Friday night. I was stoked when I turned on the TV and I saw that tonight's episode was an investigation into an unsuspecting mom-and-pop-styled restaurant located in our very own Santa Quinn, Utah. That's right, folks. This episode is all about Leslie's Family Tree Restaurant, its insane history, the paranormal stories, and what ultimately could have led to its demise in 2020. Now, over a hundred years ago, the building which Leslie's Family Tree used to own was built in the small town of Santa Quinn, Utah. If you don't know anything about Santa Quinn, let me paint the picture for you. It's a small mountain town sprinkled with elements of the desert. Lots of dust, lots of dirt, lots of horses. Um, the population is fairly small from what I remember because the only time I ever went to Santa Quinn was when we were driving through on road trips or we would go and stop at the Red Barn for some fresh apple cider in the fall, which if you live in Utah and you haven't done that, you should go do that as soon as you can. Fun fact, one of my coworkers and good buddies, he lives in Santa Quinn and he used to work at that Red Barn. Oh, no way. <laughs> uh, yeah, Santa, Tess is right. Santa Quinn is a tiny, tiny town. It is growing. Uh, but when they go out for dinner, they go to the best restaurant in town, which is the local Subway. I was going to say, I think they have a gas station now. Yeah, there's not much there. No. I mean, yeah, there's really not much there. But as Jesse said, it is growing. Now, the restaurant part of Leslie's family tree, of the building itself, it was built in 1974 by Wayne Smith for his family. But the basement of said building has an intense and really, in my opinion, kind of cool past. And the land that it sits on has an even more insane, sinister history. Back in the 1800s, there was an ongoing war between the Mormon pioneers and the Ute tribe fighting over that land in Santa Quinn. And if you've been a listener for a while, this is a common theme that happens in a lot of our Utah stories is that there's a fight between settlers and the tribes over certain areas. Uh, we covered that back in our story about the ghost town near Zion, which if you haven't listened to that, it's Grafton. I highly recommend you listen to that one. 
Now, bloody battles erupted. It's believed that there were over 100, close to 150 of these horrible, bloody battles, and it caused an insane rift in the settling of the state of Utah. According to the Paranormal Housewife blog, which if you have not read her blog, go read it, I love her, she did research specifically on this part of town and found evidence claiming that the settlers were attempting to settle on or near ground, use for ute burials, and as such, the land is believed to have been cursed since it was settled. Over time, that spot has been used for many different purposes, including everything from an illegal gambling hall to an underground boxing ring to a post office. That location has also been used as a flower shop, a Greyhound bus stop, and a mechanic repair shop. With such a violent history, it makes sense why people would believe that a curse was put on the land over the wars from the 1800s. Specifically, the Walker War, which took place where the restaurant is located today, so it would be safe to assume that many people took their last breaths upon that very plot of land. The restaurant itself opened in 1984 and was notoriously known for serving up Mama's Cooking, an over a foot wide deep fried scones topped with melted honey butter, which is a staple of Utah. But the owners of Leslie's soon realized that the smell of deep fried scones wasn't the only thing being served up, as stories of apparitions, children's voices and laughter, photos of black mist, and unexplainable things filled the air. According to an article from KSL, the owner believes that the restaurant has over 100 ghosts and that they can be heard talking as plain as day at any time of day. They often hear disembodied laughter and objects move on their own. So instead of fighting against it, the owner said, ah, what the hell? Let's let some ghost investigators come in and see what we can find. Both major shows, Ghost Adventures and The Dead History, have filmed episodes at Leslie's Family Tree. Research reveals that a man, his wife, and child have all died on that very property and that the wife is still seen wandering around to this day and she's seen in a blue dress looking for her long-lost child. The article claims that hundreds of mediums, yes, psychic mediums like Amy from earlier, have passed through the building's doors and have all come to the same conclusion that there is a portal to the spirit dimension within the restaurant. Each medium has also said that they encountered over 100 spirits during their time there. I remember watching the Dead History episode on this restaurant and just being mind blown about the depths of its history. The things got really creepy <laughs> for me when Amy, the medium, went to the staircase leading to the basement where she claimed to see spirits that were crawling around in spider-like stances coming up the staircase toward her and screaming. That is like the most terrifying <laughs> thing I can, like if someone was going to chase me, that is the way I would not want them to chase me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And me being the younging that I was, <laughs> that scared me so bad. Like everything was good. I was like, oh yeah, there was a war on the land. Of course it's cursed. It's a burial ground. Oh, dumb settlers. Why did you have to take that? And then she said that and I just lost my shit <laughs> I, I have been terrified by that image the rest of my life and staircases electronic devices seem to go haywire in Leslie's family tree lending to the premonition that the restaurant is a portal to the other side 
Spirit boxes go off like crazy, where tens of people's names come through at a time. There's a ton of voices that are reported to just come through all at once. Devices shut off on their own. Tables shake. Cameras lose power. Pots and pans move. Cups move. And so it's safe to say that the vibe is just simply off. So much so that two paranormal crews who were included in that KSL article have had to take breaks from their investigations in the middle of the night to recenter, step outside, and get rid of the overwhelming negativity they were experiencing inside, particularly in the basement where Amy claimed to have seen those spider people. Now, on a more light note, the building has survived a fire, one that by all means should have burned it down because the interior is crafted to look like a log cabin, so it's all wood. And the owners attribute its saving to some goodwilled spirits who wanted to see it stay standing. Yet, something the spirits didn't see coming, and inevitably couldn't predict because they probably don't even know what Facebook is, was the downfall of Leslie's family tree and its ultimate closure in 2020. Now, in that year, one of their cooks posted an extremely graphic photo of an injured policeman on his Facebook page, saying, quote, this is what a good cop looks like. This sparked severe backlash, and in response, the owner of the restaurant attempted to make amends by letting go of the cook and offering free meals to police officers in the area, which in turn sparked even more backlash from people online, resulting in an even bigger war of ethics and beliefs. Now, I won't take a stance on this. I'm simply reporting on what happened. But Yeah, I was just going to say, like, no comment. <laughs> yeah, no comment. But the restaurant ultimately closed its doors, and I wonder if the controversy contributed to this. 2020 was an extremely rough period for small businesses, and it's sad to see another historically rich mom-and-pop shop closing its doors. Luckily, the place still stands, and we can only hope that someone will be brave enough to purchase it and open its doors once again so that us ghost enthusiasts can meet the 100 spirits face-to-face. But only time will tell what will happen. And the land itself has proven to be a battleground between the Native Americans and the Mormon settlers and between people of modern times. So who knows what will happen in the future with Leslie's family tree. I know. We're going to buy that. And then we're going to turn it into a museum. Or Spooky Soup Crime Scene Cleaning HQ. Slash museum. (laughs) Slash museum. Slash... Slash restaurant. Slash we're, restaurant. We're gonna we're gonna sell spooky burgers. Spooky burgers and uh, stabby fries. <laughs> <laughs> we could call it like hand slice fries. <laughs> the hash slinging, the sash slash bringing, bringing, the, the hash slinging, slinging slasher. <laughs> uh, that is um, that is interesting. I. I haven't seen that episode of Ghost Adventures yet, uh, but I do know that they went there. And I thought it was funny because I remember seeing an ad for that episode and thinking, oh, that's cool. They're back in Utah, but they're at this like random Mon Pa restaurant. Like how random. In Santa Quinn. Yeah, in Santa Quinn. Uh, uh, just to give uh, people another idea, it's like an hour and a half-ish out from Salt Lake City. So it's it's out of the way, and probably about 
don't know, half hour from Provo. So it's 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 fairly out of the way. It's a drive. Yeah. But wow, okay, good to know. Yeah. Spooky stuff. I wanna go I wanna go there now. We should. I mean it's closed currently, but hopefully someone will buy it and we can go. Who am I kidding? We'll buy it. Yeah, we're gonna buy it. Awesome. Well, do you have anything else for us today? That's it for me. All right, guys. We will scare you in the next one. Stay spooky. Bye.